Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 1 and verses 10 through 20. The vision about Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, Amos' son, saw in the day of Judah's kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Ezekiah. Hear the Lord's word, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to God's teaching, people of Gomorrah. What should I think about all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm fed up with entirely burned offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't want the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from you, this trampling of my temple's courts? Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly? I can't stand wickedness with celebration. I hate your new moons and your festivals. They've become a burden that I'm tired of bearing. When you extend your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen. Your hands are stained with blood. Wash. Be clean. Remove your ugly deeds from my sight. Put an end to such evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will become white as snow. If they are red as crimson, they will become like wool. If you agree and obey, you will eat the best food of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. The Lord has said this. This is the word of the Lord. The second scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke from the 12th chapter. Jesus is speaking. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's wedding season between May and August, and most of us will attend at least one wedding, if not more. 
I expect a few of us might even be paying for one. A wedding is a hopeful time when we witness two people join their lives in the sight of God, uniting their strengths, their hopes, their fears, and offering short vows with God's help to people fall fully into the keeping of one another. Repeat after me, I say, as they exchange rings standing here in the center of the chancel. I'll say a line and you say it back. Let's try it. I give you this ring. As a sign of our love, with all that I am, all that I have, and all that I shall become, I marry you. Thank you. With all that I shall become. Did you catch that line? How much is summed up in those six words? Before God and these witnesses, two people make an audacious admission, I am becoming something. They don't know what it is exactly, they just know it will be more than they are right now, that each will change, but they now belong to each other, and they can, all that they can see, and all that they cannot, with all that I shall become. Becoming is a universal experience, whether or not we've ever made such particular promises. We know that by hook or by crook, through all that life brings, we are always becoming. The liturgy of a baptism mirrors this truth with that same audacity. Do you promise to nurture this child in this faith? Parents bring their little ones to the Lord, seeking the collective guidance and help of the congregation. All that we as parents are becoming, whatever will become of this child, we belong to you, God. We are in your keeping, including all that we shall become. Our summer theme has told us week after week that we are beloved by God, and thus we are belovable to one another. We pondered in June that we belong to God and one another. In July, we considered our believing how we strive for faith in the divine presence in this world despite any evidence to the contrary. Now in August, we spend these weeks pondering how through that belonging and that believing, things are happening to us. Always a work in progress, we are becoming in community, as community, we help others to become. We've shared the stories of our lives, the stories of Henry Nouwen and Rachel Held Evans and Bob Goff, so different in their style and approach. We've told the stories of our lives and cherished hymns that have sung us into becoming. Last Sunday, we heard from Reverend Dave Prentice-Hires about his colorful mentor and friend, Reverend Goforth, who lived up to his name, shaping the lives of so many others who were becoming. Who are we becoming? What has shaped that experience of us? In the summer of 1972, I was becoming a swimmer. I was just three years old, but we Floridians live for and near the water, and my dad wanted me to become a swimmer, to be safe. Before the invention of water wings, my dad went to the local Piggly Wiggly and purchased a large styrofoam egg bigger than a toaster, fastened to a canvas belt. 
When strapped to a child's back, the egg-shaped bubble acted as a flotation device that allowed the wearer to stay upright in the water until she learned to swim. The not-so-stylish egg kept a child's body buoyant and prevented drowning. Certainly kept me safe. My dad loved putting it on me. Stand here, he'd say. Turn your back to me. Then his hairy forearms would come around my waist to close the clasp, and I'd, see, I'd look down to see him pulling the two straps to tighten it. I trusted that bubble. I bobbed up and down, trying to keep up with my three siblings, knowing I was safe. What I didn't know was that for three weeks in June in the summer of 1972, each night after I went to sleep, my dad took out a knife from his dresser to carefully whittle away one strip of the bubble. Each evening, off came just a sliver. The next day, Dad told me to turn my back to him, leaving me unable to see behind me that my large styrofoam safety egg was shrinking slowly into a small softball and then weeks later to the size of an actual egg until all that remained was a shard of weightless foam. By our 4th of July pool party, I was still confident that my large egg was saving me while wearing nothing but a styrofoam-free canvas strap. Unbeknownst to me, I had become quite a competent swimmer. How clever, my mom thought, retelling the story over the years at family parties. And at first, it was. But over the years, I began to reflect on that, on life lessons, and upon my own moments of becoming, the times of growth and change and transformation in my own life, and I began to dislike that story. Others help us become, and in those people, we need confidence. We need to trust that they're being honest with us. But we also have to gain our own confidence in the process of becoming. We have to find courage to be compelled from within to embrace change and transformation. Becoming requires our own participation. We bring our volition and our ability to be accepting. You can't trick someone into becoming. Had I become a swimmer? I had not mentally mastered the challenge. I had not come face to face with self-doubt. I had been robbed of the ability to move through natural fear and hesitation. The person who loved me believed fear would be overwhelming to me and sought to protect me to the point of deceit, however cute and clever it was. My dear old dad wanted my becoming to be easier, that was all. But the benefits and byproducts of becoming were denied me. You see, by its nature, becoming is hard, and change is often hard fought. A caterpillar's metamorphosis and pushing outside of that cocoon is actually rather painful and a bit gruesome. It's anything but comfortable. Opportunities to become will come. Shrinking styrofoam cannot replace the courage and confidence that we find when we confront life and find our strength within. Change and transformation almost always bring discomfort and challenge, sometimes much more than we imagined and knew that we could handle. Becoming. What is this becoming? Our beloved Bible is full of the stories that shape our answers to that question, and today's readings are no exception. Both passages are a call to become someone better, someone different, to live differently, to be more faithful, to take on more of the shape of our Lord, 
God's word through the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus' riff on preparedness are all about how we can offer ourselves to the world to give ourselves to God more authentically, fully, and without need of return. The Old Testament lesson from Isaiah that Jen read is appropriately harsh. This God is concerned with justice. Isaiah does not mince words for those engaged in social and political injustice, particularly the politically powerful and affluent who exploit the poor and oppressed. We can hear these words pointed at people in politics and dysfunctional social systems today. But these words are also aimed at us. God, in Isaiah's voice, condemns their and our best efforts at worship. My colleague Stacy Simpson-Duke writes that we have a perpetual problem translating our worship into action. And she says our inattention to justice delegitimates our praise. Change your ways, he says, going after the huge gaps between our practice and our praise. God denounces showy rituals grounded in flattery. God rejects our practices of faith that avoid personal transformation by putting our effort into feckless fawning. God wants his people clean with real purification of their lives, not merely washing their hands. He says worship that's unconcerned with justice is obscene, and God hates it, hates our perpetual problem. How we too often worship a homeless man on Sunday morning only to ignore the homeless one at the Ann Arbor Saline Road exit on Monday? To lift our hands in praise and prayer without extending our hands to the most vulnerable will not do, he says. Isaiah calls Judah out, calls us out. Your sacrifices won't cut it. Learn to do good, the prophet says. Let your scarlet and crimson become like snow. Be willing, be obedient. Confront the challenges of this complicated world. And God is clearly saying, you can't trick me into a deeper relationship with you. I want you to swim out into the deep end of the world where words of praise won't keep you afloat. Look at who you really are. Examine how you are doing. Then make visible and tangible your love and faithfulness. He says, it doesn't require courage to light some incense and slaughter some bulls. Your hands are full of blood, so put all that down and move into a practice of faith that's fraught with complexity and challenge to change your ways. You're going to have to come and argue it out with me. And so, we might find courage to take our children and youth into Ypsilanti or the Cass Corridor and plant gardens then sit and talk with those taking shelter there and have lunch and build a relationship. When you bring your pot of chili to the rotating shelter, what if you sat and ate with the men, learning of their hopes and dreams and dashed efforts and best steps to new life? As a congregation, don't wait for your pastors to pen a nice letter on your behalf. Draw pictures of your own, write your own poems of protest, and then show up on the Capitol steps to denounce divisive, racist rhetoric that rots our nation's name of united. Do it in the name of Christ who loves all people, no matter the color of their skin, the country of their origin, the cultural and socioeconomic factors or personal choices that have led them to be oppressed. He says, get yourselves out into the dirty world, for that 
is how you become clean. In the gospel for today, Jesus also speaks to our becoming. But here, I think he is looking to instill confidence on which to build. Do not fear, he says, assuring them that the kingdom is already theirs. They don't have to be good to inherit it. They just have to receive it and respond more faithfully, more alertly. You see, if you have this confidence that you are held in the unconditional love of God, you will have the eyes, the courage to see God's inbreaking presence even now. Attending to God's gracious presence and participation in this world is a transformed awareness, a transformed understanding of what God is doing in the world. That's what God is after, for God is doing something. God is watching over us, but my friends, God is also watching us, hoping that we are watching for God. Christ doesn't want our fear to be on the lookout. He wants quiet confidence that leads to transformed awareness. We're eager and ready to do what Christ is doing. This experience of becoming more alert to the kingdom of God breaking in even now means that we are in it, interacting with it, growing through and with and because of it. And when we open our hands and let go of our security, the things we think will give us stability, and cling to the God we cannot see, we can take hold of it. When we see clearly, are more responsive, less selfish, less self-centered, less controlled and controlling, eager and willing to drop the things that don't matter for what truly does, then we'll know we're becoming. God is coming, God is always coming, and so we can trust and have confidence to take the next step to have courage and let go of whatever gets in the way of this faith becoming, of this world becoming holy gods. Rachel Held Evans wrote our July book, Searching for Sundays. It is a most marvelous book if you did not read it in July. It is still available in our office. Rachel died rather suddenly at the age of 37 in June. She left behind three, two children who were aged three and one. Two years ago, she wrote these poignant words in that book. My journey, like most journeys of faith, is a meandering and ongoing one, a story still in draft. And like all pilgrims, I'm indebted to those who've gone before me, those saints of holy curiosity whose lives of faithful questioning taught me not to fear my doubts, but to embrace and learn from them. At 35, after years of tangling with the Bible and with every expectation that I shall tangle with it forever, I find myself singing Psalm 121 to my baby boy each night. I sing into his sweet-smelling wisp of hair many thousands of what many thousands of mothers and fathers have done before. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Rachel couldn't have known that she had but two years to become in this life, a mother, a writer, and a wife. She did not know the day nor the hour of her dying. At her funeral, perhaps, they said the words that we say. Her baptism becomes complete in her death, fulfilled in her resurrection to eternal life. Now, those around her are still becoming. Her husband, Dan Evans, wrote just a few weeks ago about this on her blog. He said, this gaping raw wound in my life isn't something I can fix. Not sure where life will take us from here. Sometimes things just hurt and there's no avoiding it. 
Any attempt to do so, to move on too quickly, to outsmart it or trick it, to cover up the pain will backfire. It will have to ease on its own with the passage of time. But I hold on to hope, that kind of stubborn hope that exists in the face of certain future tragedy. It's a hope that's aware of the past, the present, the future possibilities. It's a hope that's fulfilled every time I remember I can still laugh at bad jokes, still be a friend to my friends, still love my children. It's not a hope that requires life to turn out how I want. It's not a hope that I have to wait for. It's a hope that takes delight in all the things that are still good, a hope I learned from Rachel. I write these words, he says, not because I always feel them, but because I hope they will someday make up enough of me to matter. I want to become a bit more like the person I see reflected in my edited self and the person Rachel saw in me. She made me better than I was before I met her. She left the world better than how she found it. For that, I will always be grateful. Our becoming matters. It matters to us, it matters to the world, and it matters to God. And my friends, it is an experience filled with challenge, but also with joy. What are you becoming? What are the stories you can tell about that? Blessed are those ready for all that we shall become. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you into a bidding prayer now. When I say God of wisdom, I invite you to say, draw near to us. So when I say God of wisdom, you say, draw near to us. Let us pray together as the people of God in this place on this day. Ever-present God, we look around the world and we see people, places where people cry out to you. In places torn by the rawness of gunfire in places torn by the ravages of war, in countries demolished by natural disaster, in places in Michigan where there are no jobs, in cities where the only jobs seem to pay minimum wage. Ever-present God come to families across the state and around our nation who have been devastated by opioid addiction, and help us to bear your light into the places in the world that need illumination and healing. God of wisdom, draw near to us. Glorious God, give us a gentleness born of wisdom, that we might go into the world and serve as your witnesses. In order to do that, bless us with the wisdom we need to do so, wisdom that is pure and peaceable and gentle willing to yield wisdom that first listens, that's full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. So God of wisdom, draw near to us. So God of mercy and grace, give us the courage to seek you out, to search our hearts for your truths, to be guided by the stories of Scripture, to know that we're always in a process of becoming something new, something different, something transformed. And we know that our hearts do not rest until they rest in you. 
So lead us in the places of your protection, that we might forever be faithful members of your community. So God of wisdom, draw near to us. Healing God, we pray for those among us this day who need your love, who struggle with depression, for all who journey with disabilities, for those who are lonely, for those who are addicted, for those who have relapsed, for those who are hopeless. We pray for all who are hungry, angry, and bitter, for those who are broken and battered, and for those that we lift up in our own prayers in silence this day. God of wisdom, draw near to us. So God, giver of hope and truth, hear us this day as we welcome into our midst new leaders in the life of this congregation as we say goodbye to those who have held us in their hearts and love as well. We pray your blessings upon them and upon Blair Buckley this day and her colleagues that have gone from here, Eric and Dorothy and Essie. We pray that we will welcome with open arms Mark Morris and Rick Spaulding and Dave Vandermeer and Kayla Johnson and Amy Roof and Andrew Frazier and yet another cast of characters that you have called to guide and lead and shape us. God of wisdom, draw near to us. And in this and all things we pray as you have taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen thanks for worshiping with us for more information visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.